Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello, welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online, brought to you by Gulliver's Sports Travel. My name is Matt Southgoom and today I'm joined by Delmi Parfit and Andy Howell. Good morning, chaps. Good morning. Morning, Matthew. We'll also be having chats um, with our colleagues Mark Orders and Rob Lloyd down in the Swansea office. Uh, they were at the Ospreys and the Scarlets games on the weekend, so we'll be catching up with them to find out what went on down there. First of all, boys, let's start off with the Dragons. Played two games uh, in two days over the weekend. First of all, and what do we make of this decision to split the squad? I mean... It just sort of spreads them a bit thin. There was a lot of uh, youngsters and Premiership players playing against Northampton on the Saturday. Um, what does this do for them? I, I'm struggling to see what they get from this. Well, they, they had a training camp as well in France last week, so that was uh, grueling. So they'd already been tired before playing those matches. Uh, my understanding is that this uh, Bernard Jackman, their new coach, inherited this situation. Fixtures were already. Um, uh, so this wasn't his, this wasn't his idea. That's what he, that's what he said. No, okay. that, uh, he's inherited it. That's what it is. Um, of course, they shipped 111 points in total. Only scored uh, uh, 36. Fell apart in the second half against Northampton Saints. Uh, though Northampton changed their entire team for that final uh, 40 minutes. I guess uh, Jackman it would be an valuable exercise in some ways because he will have learned about the resolve and commitment of some of his uh, uh, of his players and who's really got that dog and fight for the future, which is what they're going to need. You know, there's no point being around the bush. Any of the Welsh regions would have struggled against those two teams if they were playing them within 18 hours. Yeah. So might he ask, of course, the Dragons would have needed their best team on a pitch in one of those games to be really competitive. Del, what do you make of it? I think Andy summed it up quite nicely there, Matt, to be honest. Uh, I think um, he, he, he will have learned, and like you said, there were Premiership players in that Northampton, um, in, that, in that squad for Northampton. Uh, you never know when you're going to stumble across something that um, that you haven't seen, and that you might think I can I can work I can work with that, and that would be would have been what Jackman was hoping. But um, yeah, I think it would have, it would have tested any region to play that those those two matches. I'm not sure the wisdom of it really. Um, you know, particularly having one in France and one in England. I mean, if they'd been playing Leicester and Northampton, it would have been. Uh, a little yeah. bit, uh, a little bit more sensible, I think. But there we are. It, it, it is, it is, it is what it is. And um, you know, I'm sure that um, I'm sure that uh, Bernard Jackman will have learned plenty from the two games. Yeah, I mean, uh, Mike Ruddock, before he ever became Wales coach, uh, two of the biggest lessons he learned during his uh, coaching career was when he was coach of uh, Cross Keys, and they shipped loads of points. I think it might be actually against uh, uh, Swansea, and he knew after that game what players really wanted it, who had the fight. And then uh, when he was in charge of Swansea, they got absolutely hammered by South Africa. I think it was back in about 1994. And he realised that after that game, some of the uh, Swansea players perhaps weren't up to it. Uh, at this stage, I mean, it's the first, the first real hit out or first two in, in the Dragons case. How much stock do you place in being thumped like that? Is, it, is the result a concern or is it just purely a case I, of... I don't think the result is a concern at all. I, I just think it, it is how... Our, our players react to certain certain situations, you know. Effectively, they're trial games, I think, mm. and and it's um, what what coaches want to see is 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 that players are out there and, and and want to impress. You know, you try and get a gauge for right who wants the, who wants these jerseys come come the Guinness Pro 14, and and you can see that attitude and that desire from the stands rather than um, you know looking to pick up on every mistake that's made. You know, I think it's a real desire thing. 
um, that, that Andy alluded to with um, with Ruddock's situation. Yeah. When I look as well at that Montpellier team, who's a heck of a team they feel that yeah. there's Mac Duplessis, Stein, Stein, Joe Tamani, uh, a couple of French internationals. It was a really loaded team, and of course they've got a new coach, Vern Cotter, ex Scotland. Big point to prove. Did a good job with the Scots, so those guys would have been out to impress him, to try and impress him as well. And uh, you know they were just too heavy for the Dragons. I think their pack had an average uh, weight of you know under twenty stone. Mark Jackman said it was the biggest pack he'd ever, he'd ever seen. But uh, I suppose one of the positives to come out of this as well is that the two big new signings, Gavin Enson and Zane Kirshner, got their feet under the table. First run out in the jerseys. It's got to be one of the positives to come from this. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. H- Henson, in, in particular, is obviously going to be the focus on the Dragons. Uh, you know, I, I just hope more than anything he can stay injury free. You know, I don't think people can expect him to uh, to work miracles down there. But it would just be nice to see him get even like three or four months run of just playing rugby uh, mm. to see. You know, we know that he's still got the class. He might not quite have the the, the, the zip that he, he used to have in his legs, but we know he can still pick a pass and he can still, you know, he can still open up defenses and and. And it's just key. I think he could be a real, um, you know, the Dragons need stability, I think, um, mm. this year. And, and if Henson's going to be at 10, um, they need him to be at 10 for a lengthy spell. You know? do, do you see him at 10? I know he was there against Montpellier. Is that is that where he's he's going to feature regularly, do you think? Yeah, I think he will quite regularly. He's initially at the start of the season, but they will use him as well, I think, at inside centre to try and bring some of the other outside halves on Dorian Jones uh, Angus O'Brien Alwa Robson you know Ensign guiding him from outside half like he used to with Hook a lot of Hook's best rugby at 10 James Hook was when Ensign was at 12 Mm. and you know they used to work really well together so I think he will have that role to uh, make I'm going to just put a tick in my uh, notebook though Matt alongside Gav he's played one game (laughs) and the big thing about it was he didn't pick up another injury Mm. because he's got such an, an injury prone uh, record so and of course it's probably the lowest key debut he's ever made yeah. in rugby playing France Which in a little be, village yeah. in rural France Saint Afrique population about 9,000 Gavin Henson's debut I'm sure when he makes his own bow for the Dragons whether it's against Glasgow at Everville a week on Friday or against Leinster in a Pro 14 there'll be a lot more fanfare I think you might be right on that yeah, one yeah I think you are yeah. um, alright then um, as I said earlier we caught up with uh, Mark Orders a little bit earlier on um just to see how the Ospreys got on on Friday night against Leicester. And uh, here's the conversation I had with him earlier. Mark, as always, it's great to have you on the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Um, you were down at the Brewery Field in Bridgend on Friday night to watch the Ospreys open their pre-season against Leicester. 21-14 was the score, which some may say is largely irrelevant at this stage in proceedings. But how, how did the game go? I know it was difficult conditions on Friday night. Yeah, I mean, look, you're, you're spot on about the conditions being difficult. Um, they, they were truly, truly appalling and uh, wasn't out either for the fans and, and indeed journalists. By uh, <laughs> Leicester's, shall we say, idiosyncratic decision uh, not to have any numbers on their shirts, which uh, <laughs> which was a, a bundle of fun. Really. Um, but, but, but generally, uh, I think, you know, there, there were some pleasing things for Steve Candy. Um, Paul James at 35 had, had a strong game at Lucid Prop, and the Ospreys were clearly on top, you know, um, in the scrums. A number of youngsters also sort of uh, put their hands up, including the two centres, Joe Thomas and Owen Watkin. Um, young Scott Otten 
showed a little bit. I was quite impressed too with uh, a lad called Will Jones, um, who came on only for the final 10 minutes, but again, he looked the part. And with Crackdown, Ollie Crackdown also having a good game, you know, that, um, that will go some way, perhaps, you know, to, should we say, you know, ease in Tandy's minds, ease Tandy's minds. Although he's going to play at number seven. Um, when Justin Tibrick is away during the autumn and, and the Six Nations. Mm. Um, I got the impression, I, I was obviously working Friday night too, I was looking after your report uh, for the website and things, um, I got the impression that the Ospreys had a lot of ball, um, perhaps didn't manage the conditions as well as Leicester might have. Yeah, you're, you're spot on to be honest. Um, I mean, look, they, they, they try to be uh, adventurous and bold and in many ways that's commendable, but perhaps not so when, when he's chucking it down with Wayne. Mm. And, um, you know, the halfbacks played well enough, but, you know, I, I think generally it, it was a young team and, uh, you know, they, they, they perhaps weren't pragmatic enough. And that's uh, all very clinical, you know, uh, as if they had uh, three chances and, and took the three of them. And um, I think if the Ospreys had, had been a bit more pragmatic, I, I think you know they, they they would have won the match. But these these are young lads, you know, and basically they're banked that experience, and you know probably be better for it as well. Mm. You're talking about the young lads. There was a there was an old head making his Ospreys return um, on Friday. I was James Hook, obviously. Um, great for the region and great for the fans to to have him back. Um, not sure whether he, whether he had many touches in the game. I know he wasn't on for all that long but what, what do you think his signing will do for the region going forward yeah well he had uh, he had half an hour uh, James uh, and he look he's a class player and um, yeah he's one of his first touches saw the ball sort of planted sort of 30 odd metres you know 40 odd metres behind the uh, the Leicester backs and uh, he knows what he's doing and he's, he's a quality player and he'll just bring a load of experience and his versatility as well, you know. It's really going to help. He can cover full-back, centre, outside half. So in terms of uh, quality signings in the summer, I, I think games will prove a big success. Mm. Um, Corey Allen also made his Ospreys debut uh, on Friday. He came on an inside centre, I believe. Do you think that's where his future will lie at the region? He's obviously played on the wing a little bit for Wales in the summer and he played there a bit for the Cardiff Blues as well so do you think he's going to be playing at centre more often than not? Well yeah well I, yeah, I think he's undoubtedly going to be playing at centre and indeed at the uh, Ospreys press conference last week you know he made a point to say well look I, I, I come here as, uh, as a centre uh, I'll help out by playing on the wing but you know I want to play on the, in the centre and look they, they've got the Ospreys have got five or six centres so the competition there with James or Keaton Fortier there's Ben John there's Owen Watkin uh, young Joe Thomas had a really good game um, on Friday so the competition is, is, is going to be intense but Corey Allen is a good player mm. and um, I was a little bit surprised that he, he fell from sort of prominence if you like at Cardiff Blues yeah. he is a good player and uh, yeah, you know he's, he's going to challenge. Uh, he's going to challenge for a centre spot. The lesson last week, last year rather, at the Ospreys was you can never have too much cover um, because they imploded over the final months of the season mm. when they, they were hit hard by injuries. So you know they they clearly 
Another one you touched on there, Owen Watkin, great to see him back after missing the whole season last year um, with a serious injury. Um, showed a lot of promise uh, in that season he had before. Um, lots of people billing him as, as a future Welsh international, obviously, uh, given his exploits with the under-20s. But great to see him back. How much um, should we expect from him in the early part of the season coming up? Yeah, I mean, I, I would Yes, that uh, you know, perhaps uh, you know, people may need to cut him a little bit of slack in his first of games um, because he, he's been missing. By the time the season starts, he'll have been missing for sort of fifteen months, mm. and it does take time to move up the gears. I mean, he, he started on the conditions were dreadful, and he started on Friday evening. A left of attack down the left, and. Um, it was a two-on-one, and a, a guy felt sliced past Owen. Um, but in, in fairness to him, you know, he didn't let his head drop at all. Um, sort of twenty odd minutes later, he, he made a great break and, uh, and set up a try for Jay Baker. Mm. So he is a good player, and he, he is going to deliver for the Osprey. And my guess is, um, you know, I don't know when. I, I, I'd love to say sooner rather than later, but my guess is at some point he will come through uh, for Wales as well. Mm. Um, it may it may take may take a year, it may take two years, but I, I think he's going to come through. Yeah, um, another Welsh international we haven't seen for a while is uh, Dan Lydiot. Is there any update on when Ospreys fans can expect to see him back? Yeah, uh, Steve the same after the game. Uh, you know they they have been hoping really to get him right. For the, uh, the the start of the season, the first game of the season, but um, Tani was saying after the game that uh, he's more likely really to to be considered. I think for the I think it's round three. I think off the top of my head they play Munster, mm. and um, so yeah, look, he, he's been out since last November as well, so it's just a little bit more patience. And um, likewise with James King. Uh, who picked up a nasty sort of, I think it was Anton injury uh, in the final game of the season against Munster. And James is, is doing well too. And uh, I think the comeback that they penciled in for him is also the match with Munster. So slowly but truly, you know, the Ospreys are, uh, as you'd expect at this time of year, they are getting people back to fitness and health and, you know, their. Uh, their treatment room, which I would say must be one of the busiest around at mm. various points. You know, that, that is sort of thinning out, isn't it? Yeah, uh, just, just coming back to Lydia the second, what, what do you think his state of mind is going to be heading into this season? Like you said, he's been out for a long time. He's had to watch Ross Moriarty come to prominence with Wales and, and the Welsh back row flourish without him doing the Six Nations. He's also had to watch the Lions tour from afar as well. All the while, he's not fit. He's in the treatment room all the time. Now he's finally coming back. What, what do you think will be going through his mind as he comes back? Yeah, well, you know, Dan has time stands still for no man. And, you know, Dan will have looked at what's been happening with Ross Moriarty's emergence. With Ross Moriarty, of course. He's, uh, he, he, he sort of, uh, he's a good defender, but he's also a big ball carrier as well. Mm. Um, nonetheless, what I would say with Dan is that uh, you know he, he is still one of the top defenders in European rugby. He's a great tackler, 
and uh, he was actually trying to move his game on before his injury. Mm. Um, I think when he comes back, I think again, you know, it'll take him a little bit of time to get up the gears. I think that, I think over the over the year or, or, or ten months or so that he's been out, you know. He perhaps would have reflected on it, but he should also sort of remember as well. You know, at the end of the day, he's got strengths to his game. And uh, if he brings them to bear, um, he can really, really be uh, a useful asset, uh, both for the Australian and for Wales as well. Mm. Because, you know, his type of game, it hasn't completely uh, become redundant. Uh, at the end of the day, the Osprey certainly could have done with Dan Lydiat. Uh, in the final weeks or, or months of last season, you know, mm. making those hard tackles on the game line, knocking ball carriers backwards, you know. So I, I think you know, he can be really positive, but you uh, can look forward to resuming again. Okay, just finally before I let you go, Mark, um, Osprey's got Bath up next this weekend at the Liberty Stadium, and then they travel the week after to Leicester for the return fixture in pre season before the season gets underway. It's shaping up quite nicely for them. Are we expecting to see. Um, next week and the following week then begin to see the, 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 the bigger players coming back and perhaps more of a shape of what we can expect on the, the opening day of the season yeah yeah definitely um, I think they, you know, they're going to try to eat some of their Wales boys back um, and uh, I, I think the Lions I think Tipperick uh, I don't know if Tipperick will, will feature possibly against Leicester I don't know if he's coming to the mix with Bath um, Alan Wynn of the Lions I think they've said that Alan Wynn is expected back uh, last probably mm. <laughs> you know, understandably so as well because he, uh, he had quite a big chest last year yeah. um, and then Webber bigger uh, as well you know you, you probably see those guys uh, coming back I would say late September uh, with possibly Alan Wynn um, a, a week or so after those um, but yeah, you know, you're going to see guys like uh, Sam Davis uh, possibly lining up against Leicester. Uh, I, I generally the Wales lads, you know. But um, young Luke Price, he's, he's uh, an outside half, you know. He, he did a, a steady enough job, and I think the Ospreys deal, he, he can uh, he, he can hold the fort, you know, in, in the absence of of Sam and uh, and Dan Bigger. Mm. All right, listen, Mark, as always, pleasure to talk to you and uh, thanks for joining us on the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Brilliant, mate. Thanks very much. Okay, so that's how the Ospreys got on and there's a, um, there's a Women's World Cup going on at the moment and Wales are involved. Uh, you've been covering this for us over the last uh, week or so. Just give me a little bit of a flavour of how they've been getting on. Well, they lost both matches. They lost uh, 44-10 to New Zealand. 12, I think. 12, was it? Yeah. 12, thank you, Del, for uh, uh, getting the facts right, as always. <laughs> uh, uh, Scoreline flattered New Zealand. Uh, it was like watching a Wales um, men's team against New Zealand. Played so well for long spells, patches, but then failed to take your chances. Cough up possession, and what happens? You get punished mm. by the All Blacks. In this case, it was the uh, Black Ferns. Showed some great vision in their backs and handling skills. And to be honest, in some some of the vision they showed in their skills, no, I would argue better than the men's uh, Wales men's backs. Mm. And uh, then Wales were up against Canada yesterday. Um, final score was fifteen nil. It was really a uh, backs to the wall job. Canada were the finalists in twenty fourteen. Last time the tournament was uh, held, uh, but they were suffering from a disease. Canada that uh, Wales suffered in the 2015 Men's World Cup, namely white line fever. 
they should have hammered Wales really but they spent so many overlaps that two tries disallowed but I must say the Welsh commitment this tournament after a traumatic Six Nations has been fantastic those girls really put their bodies on the line after an hour yesterday they made in excess of 150 tackles and Canada made just 43 but they just would not give up but unfortunately in the second half uh, possession uh, dried up but it was a pretty young team so I think it all goes well for the future and I must say their number 8 Sean, Sean Ed Harris has been uh, superb you know, she is picking. She's picking a ball up from retreating scrum and barging defenders out of the way, just making some fantastic runs. You know, which you know are a bit reminiscent of uh, some of the some of the added in number eight, just Scott Quinnell type runs, mm. bouncing people out of the way. She's taking some uh, stopping. So I think it actually has been uh, pretty good. And the standard, I was uh, uh, the standard, and how physical those games have been has been a, has been an eye opener. You, the, I was doing one of the press conferences during the Six Nations. I know Roland Phillips had to face a lot of tough questions. I, th- I think it may have been in the wake of the England defeat, which which was quite heavy at the Arms Park. Do you think there's an element here of proving points and putting a few records straight and putting a bit of pride back into things? Yeah, absolutely, because that match against England, it was quite embarrassing, really, wasn't it? Mm. That, uh, it was almost a point of, uh, I think it was almost a point of minute, wasn't it? Was Not far off. But yeah, you know, they were just uh, running in tries for fun. But uh, what Wales have done is um, they, they've obviously been together longer, and I guess that's helped them. But they really, they've shored up their defence, and it's just their commitment and mm. um, bravery, really. It's just, uh, you know, they, they, they are really, you know, don't want to be broken down. And they have given everything. You know, that match against um, uh, New Zealand, if it had been a score being like 30 points to 20, that would have been looked fair. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, let's uh, catch up with Rob Lloyd then in our West Wales office. Uh, he was at the Scarlet's opening game of the pre-season against a Premiership seller in Clandovery. You're right there, Andy, you okay? Struggling a bit, Matt. I'm struggling a bit as at the moment. If you think I sound a bit rough, that's perhaps why. Uh, but anyway, let's send it down to Rob Lloyd. This is a chat I had with him earlier on. Rob, thanks for joining us on the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Uh, you were in Flandovery on the weekend to watch the, the Scarlets open their pre-season against the Premiership Select 15. It was 82-12 the score, um, largely irrelevant, but how was it as a game and an occasion? Yeah, I mean, it was just it, it was what the Scarlets wanted, to be honest, man. It was, um, it was a, a, an early run-up for the, for the new faces in the squad, some of the youngsters, just to blow a few of the cobwebs away, um, just getting run through systems against Makeshift opposition really, and they, they ticked a lot of boxes. Twelve tries, you know, a lot, a lot of the new boys impressed, and uh, came away without any injuries as well, which is always a bonus in pre-season matches. Mm. I mean, like we said, there's only always so much that, that as journalists we can learn from those games. But what what was Wayne Pivak looking for in that in that game? Yeah, I think he's just looking to see how how the boys were slotted in this summer. Uh, sort of have been able to merge into into the Scarlet system. You know, we saw at the end of last season in particular how the Scarlets want to play the game, you know, they've lost a lot of wins on the ball and they just, just I think he just wanted to see how the likes of Paul Asquith, Tom Grabham, uh, Morgan Williams, those type of players have been brought on board this summer, just slotted in and, and you know, awfully impressed to be honest, especially um Asquith who really looked apart. I know it obviously you've got to take into context the opposition they were playing against, but uh, you know, from got to try inside two minutes and really did look uh, like he got the skills to just seamlessly slot into the Scarlet's game plan he really impressed me on Saturday mm. Scarlet's move on uh, to face Bristol this weekend are we, we expecting yeah. the likes of Hadley Parks and, and those guys to come sort of back in and then 
hopefully then maybe the following week start seeing a few of the Welsh internationals coming back well, I think you've been seeing the Welsh internationals to be honest Max, I, think I spoke to Wayne Peabock after the game and uh, he was keen to get them involved so mm. I mean Alex um, Samson Lee who hasn't played um, well he picked up a bit of a knee injury uh, in the final and didn't feature on the summer tour so he might be involved Jake Ball a week later in Gloucester but I think he was keen to get the Welsh internationals involved so we might see the likes of the likes of Steph Evans, Aaron Shingler, possibly Scott Williams, um, get an early run out, to be honest, yeah. which, which is a bit surprising because uh, he might have wrapped them up a little bit more and been caught in the world, but he's keen to get them out there. So, um, yeah, we might see quite a, quite a strong Scarlet line up to Bristol as we can. Yeah, talking talk about being keen, um, I saw your story, um, quote from PRAC on Lee Halfpenny, he wants, wants to rock up at the Scarlet a week earlier than they actually wanted in there, he wants to get his feet under the table as quickly as possible by the sounds of things. Just talk to me a little bit about that signing and what that might do for the region because there was a little bit of concern that perhaps their summer summer business wasn't particularly great um, given the players that were going out and some that were coming in. But he his signing really does send a bit of a message, doesn't it? Oh, massively. I mean, uh, you know, with respect to the players they signed over the summer, he's pre-trial players, but you, when you're losing a player of Liam Williams' calibre, and DTH remember as well, DTH Van der Berber's, Proven try scorer, one of the top try scorers in the history of the Pro 12. You know, those are two mm. quality players they've left. And they haven't really replaced like for life. So to bring someone of uh, the half that he's caliber in, it's just a huge step. But not just on the field, but off it as well. You know, we've seen we've seen over the years of the Scarlets. Every year there's been a strict creed of top Welsh player going somewhere else. You know, you've had George North, Northampton, Don Davis when he went to Clermont, Chris Priestland. Um, it's just obviously Liam. Uh, at the end of last season, so for, for the Scarlets to actually sign a top Wales international British player, you know, player of the series four years ago, it's just a huge statement. And speaking to people in their own Llanelli and Scarlets fans, they're hugely excited. Him, you know, you hear of stories of you know people wanting to buy season tickets because half in he's been involved, and it's just uh, it's created a real buzz on the back of obviously with them another title as well. So it's uh, mm-hmm. a real feel good fact that they're uh, feeling done. West Wales at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's taken his fair bit of flack over the summer. Um, not just he took a bit of stick uh, during the Lions tour for his on-field form, and then the way things were handled in re- in regards to where he would play next season, he took a lot of criticism for how he was going about that as well. What do you think it says about him that he wants to come in before the Scarlets actually wanted him there? His work ethic and his attitude has never really been in question, but do you think he, he feels like he might have something to prove at the Scarlets? Yeah, first of all, I, I think Liam Penny's a great player. I really do. I think maybe we have seen the best of him in recent years, but I just think as an all-round package, he ticks you know ticks all the boxes. People question his attacking abilities. I mean that that attacking ability is there. I just I just think perhaps maybe the way Wales have played. Um, and the Gatland and obviously Toulon have been quite structured as well as we haven't seen half any in the target mode that we, that we perhaps saw in the early part of his career but yeah in terms of him coming in obviously he's keen he doesn't want to come in when the season's up and running and all of a sudden he's just slogged in and he's like you know he's going well you know, everything's up and running already yeah, yeah. he wants to get in there he wants to meet the new, his new teammates he wants to get involved and uh, yeah I think yeah, I think he'd be loved something to prove in a way because a lot of people have sort of written him off and suggested he's lost his attacking game and he's not the player he was. And uh, I think I think it'd be a massive asset. Uh, and the way the Scarlets play, the way they they encourage actually 
players to counter. I think uh, I think he could be a great addition to the squad, and obviously his his goal kicking abilities is there. He's going to be a match winner. Yeah. He's going to be a match winner for the Scarlets. You know, unfortunately, obviously he's on a national new contract, so he won't be playing as much as Scarlets fans will hope to see him this year. But just just the addition of him and, and the quality he brings will be a be a huge bonus to them. Yeah, and just just finally before I let you go, Rob. Um, obviously, they they're defending their title this year. Um, how how do you feel like they're shaping up heading into the new season? Yeah, I mean, pretty pretty well. Obviously, it's it's difficult to make early judgments. Uh, I mean, this team, if you remember the start of the last season, obviously they they lost their first three matches, and doesn't make anyone is putting any money on them even getting close to the playoffs at that stage. There's no one winning the title, so uh, things could change obviously quickly. And but you know, at the moment. They've got a fully fit squad. They've got the likes of Rob Evans, Jake Ball, Samson. The overcome injuries. They've had a they've had a clear summer. They have they haven't toured, so they're fully fit, ready to go. Um, obviously, they've got the Lions played over the series to come back into the side as well. That back division looks looks exciting. Even with the loss of Liam and PTH, there's a real excitement of that back division. And you've got youngsters coming through as well. The likes of um, Ryan Elias and, and Will Boyd, who came off the bench on Saturday. And, and made a huge impact you know he looked really dynamic strong quick he just uh, he could be a real uh, real big player for them this year especially if, if, if players are away you know obviously with John Barkley and likely be involved in Scotland again and uh, yeah they've done squad wise I think they're happy where they are they, they could be a little bit shy maybe back three if, if obviously Halfpenny's going to be involved with Wales if Steph Evans is involved with Wales as well so they don't even wouldn't want to pick up an injury in that back three mm. but uh, yeah Squad-wise, I think, you know, you look at choose between John Davis, Scott Williams, Hadley Parks, you can rotate there in the centre. Asquith's come in now and probably fried options in centre as well. Um, you know, pick any one of three scrum halves to do a job here on any given day. So, yeah, yeah. And, and they've got they got a, well, they've got an international front row to back up an international front row now. So, um, yeah, yeah there's, there's a real depth there to the Scarlet squad at the moment. All right, great, great to talk to you as always, Rob, and uh, thanks for joining us on the Welsh Rugby Podcast. Okay, so that's how the Scarlets got on uh, over the weekend, and obviously we'll be keeping up with all the regions throughout the pre-season on the website. We'll be bringing you live updates and match reports and analysis and quotes and all that cool stuff. We're back into the season now pretty much, so it's going to be full throttle from here on in. Um, Dale, I'll come to you on this next point. Um, there's been a bit of talk about the Southern Kings, obviously one of the teams coming into the Pro 14 this season. Um, Rumours or the reports are that today is the day they meet up for their first sort of gathering, um, 18 days before the first game of the season. I mean, it's talked that there's going to be about 30 players in camp, which is promising. But, you know, this it's not ideal preparation, is it? It's not. I mean, they'll probably know one another. I mean, it's not quite as uh, randomly uh, thrown together as, as some... Uh, certainly, international sides are these yeah. still are these days, especially in uh, tier two and three, etc., etc. But you do worry. I think it's um, you know, I think it might we might not get the the sort of tense, thrilling uh, spectacle that we're after for the first month of the season. I mean, the, the Kings are playing Scarlets at Parker Scarlets on the first weekend and you know the Scarlets are champions they're not world beaters but by any stretch and, and, and South African rugby teams are, ne- are never are never mug teams but um, you, you do have to question it when the Welsh regions will all have been uh, heavily uh, worked out in their, in their pre-season and they'll be ready they may not be 
dynamite, but they'll be organised, they'll be prepared. Yeah. They'll all know one another's jobs. So it would be a pity. What I would hate to see would, would be for the Scarlets to romp to a sort of 40, 50 pointer against mm. the Southern Kings because then immediately you would get the scepticism about the league expansion. Yeah. Um, let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, it might not. It could yeah. happen. Could mm. very well happen. Do we need to show a bit of patience with these South African sides? We have to. In? I think yeah, we do. I, yeah. I think it could be December before we start seeing them coming together. Yeah. Uh, because don't forget, these teams are involved, or the feeder teams, are involved in the um, in the Curry Cup. It's yeah. an ongoing. Cheetahs coming into the uh, the joining the Kings in uh, the Pro 14, but the Orange State free um, free Cheetahs are the um, Orange Free State. The Orange State Free Cheetahs. The Orange Free State Cheetahs are the reigning champions. Suffered a surprise uh, defeat at the weekend, but they're the reigning champions. They want to retain that title, so I guess a lot of their focus uh, is going to be uh, on that. And the Curry Cup is going to still be going on when the uh, Pro, 12, uh, Pro 14 has uh, 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 kicked off. So, uh, you know, they're going to struggle to come together as well uh, initially. This is all a quick job, isn't it? This is all taking place in a matter of, what, six weeks or something? Yeah, yeah. You know, so, they're going to be coming. They're going to be coming. I know, I know, look, every rugby pitch is a, a green rectangle, but they're gonna, they are going to be coming into, you know, alien environments, you know, yeah. grounds they're not used to. So I think that'll play a part. Conditions that, that you know, they're, they're perhaps not used to as well. So yeah. that's, that's all going to take... Yeah, what, what, what plus, plus law interpretations as well. What Dale said earlier is right, though. If when the South Africans are, are on it, so to speak, you know, they are really committed and they don't like to take a backward step. So, if they, as long as they come here with that mentality, I don't think we'd be able to uh, complain. But, uh, you know, I would say the Scarlets, that first game of the match, they got to be looking for a bonus point victory there. Mm. Sticking with the South African theme, I see a story doing the rounds uh, yesterday. Um, it's talk that now, now the South African teams in Europe, um, it's talk that the, the national side may actually begin to use two different sets of players for test matches in the northern and southern hemispheres. I mean, Dell coming on this, this, uh, this is a sort of unprecedented and quite bizarre idea. I think bizarre is the word. Um, I, I would be gutted if, if this was the case. I think international teams have to be international teams. You don't have two different sides and, and put them into... The, the argument being that they'll they'll call on the um, cheetahs and kings players more heavily for matches up here, yeah. but I mean you know that would heavily devalue um, games in the autumn here. Uh, so let's just think it. Let's just hope it was um, the South African boss yeah. throwing a a bit of a grenade out there, thinking out loud. Yeah. To be honest, I don't think it'll come to pass. No. But um, you talk about de- devaluing the games. I mean. Over the summer, we've had this discussion quite a lot with the Lions and with what Warren Gatlin did with the Geography Six, etc. But that would surely devalue the jersey as well. If you're not, if you're the best player in that posi- in your position, and you're not being picked because you play Super Rugby as opposed to getting Pro Twelve, well, Pro Fourteen Rugby, it's not fair, is it? No, absolutely. You know, it's a it's a mad idea, and I think uh, uh, I think he just it could be a case. The chief executive Yuri Ru said this because he's just trying to you know be positive about the uh, South Africa entering the uh, uh, Pro 14 and just talking up a bit. And he claimed they were doing it on because of playing conditions, saying that uh, 
cheetahs and king spades be more used to the northern hemisphere conditions of seeing south africa uh, traditionally when they come on tours to europe at the end of the season in november they've struggled to hit the ground running because it could be wet etc etc yeah. what he's forgot to mention though is they have started off against wales in the past and often and the roof has been shut at the uh, what's now the Principality Stadium. So it's a red heading to me. Yeah. And of course, in Super Rugby, some matches do take place in the rain. It does rain sometimes <laughs> in South Africa. It rains in Australia in the winter, particularly on the eastern seaboard. And of course, in New Zealand, they have a lot of rain. Yeah. So those Super Rugby players on the Bullstormers, uh, um, Sharks and Lions are used to playing in, rain, in, in wet conditions. So I don't know what he's on about. So is he, is he saying, if next time there's a World Cup in the Northern Hemisphere, we're not going to pick boys who only play in the Southern oh, Hemisphere? I think it's a massive Spanish. red herring. It is the weather thing as well. I think it's over, overcooked. Very, very much so. You know, but apart from uh, Rodney Parade last season, generally these days, rugby uh, pitches, you know, in Wales and the rest of Europe, are in fantastic condition. Yeah. All right, let's just put a massive question mark over that one. And as you say, Dale, perhaps not the most... Uh, realistic idea that's been put out there over the last few weeks um, sticking with the Southern Hemisphere theme though um, massive story in Australia at the moment um, as well as uh, the Cheetahs and the Kings obviously leaving Super Rugby um, the Australian Rugby Union have decided that they want to do away with the Western Force um, now this is all as a, come as a result of Super Rugby expanding up to 18 teams um, there's a massive sort of legal dispute going on down there they're not not going down without a fight in Western Australia because obviously this would leave Western Australia without a professional rugby team. Um, does this serve as a warning to the head honchos of our league up here? Because there's talk of an, of an American team coming in possibly in the future. Should we be care? I know we, we're trying to expand and bring in more money and revenue and things like that, but surely this should serve as a warning that maybe perhaps you can overexpand and the league can become too bloated. Definitely, I think it should serve as a warning. I think it's two. There's two different situations. I, I think the format as well in the in the Super Rugby has become too convoluted, um, and there's been a, a big dropping off of TV uh, audiences and and interest. Uh, when you think some of the monster cities in Australia, Sydney, Melbourne, are only drawing crowds of ten thousand to Super Rugby games or around about that, which has been happening this season. It's, it's you know you, alarm bells really do uh, start to ring, Matt. I, I I think it's it's a case of of yes that the, the Pro Twelve had to expand to the Pro Pro Fourteen and, and become that from a, a revenue uh, financial point of view, but you have to be careful, very very careful with each expansion that you make because you can quickly lose it can quickly become unwieldy yeah um and you know the strength of say of, of you know football in this country is that it is so simple you've yeah. got you know three four league tables three points for a win the more points you get the higher up the league you finish and every game matters and fans know know where they are and i think you, yeah. you know you you have to hold on to that in, in terms of the force going um i don't agree with it i i just remember being in perth for the 2013 lions um, as it happens, Force didn't do themselves any favours there because they picked a second-rate team. Yeah. Um, but having said that, um, one of the most nondescript games of that tour for me, uh, one of the most passionless games, was the Melbourne Re- Rebels game. And I, I, I think they perhaps should have been the ones mm. uh, to go. Yes, I, I, I think the Force were the easier target to get rid of because the Australian Rugby Union own, yeah. whereas the Rebels are not. Some deal was done last week that the Rebels changed their ownership, and I think the AAIU have got major financial problems of their own, feared 
uh, 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 you know, a costly court case with the owners of the uh, rebels. So I think it was easier probably for them to get rid of the force who was Delset and are going down fighting. And I'm glad about that because I think it's a disgrace what the ARU have done. The Western force have done much more in Super Rugby than the rebels, and we're actually had a pretty uh, they had a pretty decent season, had some good wins, and I think it's a tragedy for Australian rugby, but. If you, your teams overall are not doing well enough, it has a knock-on effect on a national team, doesn't it? Australia now are playing the um, Bledisloe Cup against New Zealand in Sydney. And you know what? You can buy adult tickets at junior prices now because they expect they expecting the lowest crowd since they moved to the major stadium in uh, Sydney. It used to be the Olympic Stadium, wasn't mm-hmm. it? And uh, so you can get in a, a bargain. You're still expecting about 60,000, but that is their lowest crowd they can have against the All Blacks uh, since they moved to that, uh, that stadium which yeah. is because Super Rugby got too big. Australia didn't have enough playing resources. They've also lost loads of players to European rugby and uh, Japan. So the, so the knock-on effect has been your Brumbies and Waratahs and Queensland Reds haven't been doing so, so good. And I think the Australian public, they're pretty fickle and it's all about success over there. If you're, if you're not successful, they don't want to know. Mm. So, uh, so obviously they had to, uh, they had to um, scrap some Super Rugby teams. With the Pro 14 now, I would say myself, the most I could ever go up to would be 16 teams where you'd have two conferences of, uh, of eight hours. It would become too unwieldy. Yeah. As Dale said, football's simple, isn't it? It is simple. And like I like watching the Champions League on TV and all, but I would never want a European Football League yeah. because uh, because the beauty of like British football is you get all these away fans going to matches mm. if you had a European league against you know Spanish teams Italian teams etc etc fans are not going to be able to go all the time on a regular basis because they won't be able to afford it yeah certainly is a, an interesting debate and it's sad to see what's going on in Australia at the moment but hopefully that all gets resolved soon um, I think we leave it there then chaps that's another one in the bag for another week um, as we said the pre-season's up and running now and um Teams are getting ready for the start of the season, which is fast approaching. Uh, We'll be bringing you updates from all the pre-season games live and all the match reports on Wales Online.